Let's look in Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 12, if you want to follow along in the Bible in the pew in front of you, I believe that's in page 970. Matthew chapter 12, and before we continue, and of course they're, they're not here today, but as you know, we have some uh, Vietnamese friends who are coming, and they do not speak any English or read any English. A lot of times they have to you know, listen to the sermon with Google Translate and then try to translate it as we go. So you're gonna see some weird words on the screen today, and what I did was I ran the sermon points through a translator, uh, so that way at least the main points of the sermon are in Vietnamese, and then I also found the Vietnamese scriptures. And so all of our scripture references are gonna be also in Vietnamese as well. Um, it took me a long time to do that, so, <laughs> so uh, but um, anyway, we just, want, we just want them to be able to worship with us as best we can. By the way, we are working on that. Uh, we mentioned to the church on Wednesday, the leadership of the church, myself and the deacons, we are of one heart that uh, something needs to be done. There are uh, something, something of 20 to 25 families, and uh, Vietnamese families in the community, and the closest Vietnamese-speaking church is in Little Rock. And so the, the, the leadership is of one heart that we feel like this is something that the Lord has impressed upon us, and, uh, and so we don't know what that looks like yet. So we're just at, right now, today, it looks like Vietnamese words on the board, but... Uh, but we don't know what it's gonna look like yet, but uh, we will keep you posted. But until then, please pray. Uh, we, we are of one heart that the Lord has put this on our hearts. So Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now, let's, uh, in fact, let's go ahead and, and just read. We're gonna read verses one through eight this morning. I know the board says one through 14, uh, but I decided to stick with uh, just the first eight verses. <clears throat> Matthew 12, beginning in verse one, it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but it takes faith to rest. You ever notice that? I mean, think about it. Let me just give you a few examples. Let's say that you're out with your family, camping in a tent, and you're right about to go to bed whenever you hear the loud roar of a bear or maybe a mountain lion nearby, how well are you gonna rest that night? Not very well, are you? 
What about uh, maybe you live on a street and, and just in this week alone, there have been five break-ins and there have been maybe even two injuries and the lock on your door is broken. How well are you gonna sleep in your house that night? Not very well, are you? Maybe not even that dramatic. Let's just say that maybe you take a vacation from work and you work with people who really don't know how to do the job very well. You know the old, you know the old saying, it's hard to soar with eagles when you work with turkeys. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> And so, or maybe that's not even it. Maybe you're just kind of a tad controlling or whatever, and, uh, and you just, how relaxed will you be on that vacation? No, it takes faith the rest. It requires faith the rest. And that is the whole point of the Sabbath. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. You know, when God created the world back in Genesis 1, he did not do it in only six days. He did not do it in only six days. I, I hear people say sometimes that humanity is the height of creation. They are, we are the pinnacle of his work, that everything was created for humanity. And you can make that argument if we were talking about a six-day creation. But there's a seventh day. And the seventh day... It was established in law, but it was based on the seventh day of creation because Genesis 2 and 3 says, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested from all he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God had rested from all his work in creation. You see, the point of creation is not to put humanity on the top. That's six-day creation. But the point of creation is a seven-day creation where everything ultimately points to the glory of God. Where everything that is created is made in order to glorify God and him alone. And by resting on the seventh day, Israel was expressing their faith in God. That everything really went back to glorify him our, our ability to live is not in our ability to work, but it is in the glory of God. And when we rest, we express our faith in him. And it's important to understand that background because in verses one through 14, we're gonna run across two Sabbath controversies. Two Sabbath controversies. The first one is gonna take place right here in the grain field. And the second one is gonna take place in the synagogue. And for time's sake, we're gonna look at that one next week. But my hope today is that you will understand by the time we leave here, if you don't already, you will understand what it means to truly rest in the Lord, which is essentially to rest and place your faith in Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so let's just go back to verse one. Look what he says. He says, at that time. Now, I wanna stop right there for a second because I wanna put this into some context for you. Matthew is making sure that we, we understand that what follows here in the grain field and ultimately in the synagogue is meant to be understood with what came before, all right? And so you look back on what became before. We saw this last week. What did Jesus say? 
Come to me, all you are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. For my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Two times Christ offers genuine rest to his people. Two times Jesus says that if you will come to me, I will give you rest. And so that's why when we say that Christ is our Sabbath rest, we saw that last week, that he is the true Sabbath. In fact, we look at Hebrews chapter four, verses nine and 10, where he says the following, he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And as you look on, it says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. However, here's the thing. Matthew's readers may not have really understood what it means to rest. I think there's a lot of us like that, isn't there? We don't really understand what it really means to rest. I don't know about you, but when I come back from a vacation, I'm more exhausted than what I was when I left. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but that's been my... We don't really understand what it means to rest. What does it mean to find our rest in Christ? And the Jews, they, you see, they understood rest as really nothing more than cessation of activity, stopping work for a day. That's what they understood. And because of this, they came up with very specific guidelines, rules that you had to follow in order to rest. Now, I don't know about you, but when I wanna take a rest, the first thing I wanna think about is what are the rules I need to follow? right? And that's exactly what they did. The, the Jews understood rest and, and they would give all these rules and regulations, some of which were pretty ingenious, but some of them were rather arbitrary. And you can find in their writings that there were 39 different categories of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath, 39 categories. As just an idea, here's some of the things that were considered to be work. It includes threshing, winnowing, taste testing. If you wanna taste something to see if you like it, that is work, you cannot do it. That'd be a lot of Sunday afternoon lunches ruined, wouldn't it? <laughs> if you're writing, it, it included writing two letters. You could write one Hebrew letter, but you could not write two. And if you erased a Hebrew word in order to write two letters, that was work and that was forbidden carrying anything from the house and placing it somewhere else, all kinds of stuff like that. Very arbitrary, very enslaving. And there were all kinds of debates within those categories. Well, well, is this truly winnowing? Is this truly threshing? Is this, this, and this, this, and this, that, and this, that? All kinds of debates. They didn't leave anything to chance except for the fact that they really missed the point. They really miss the point. For, for Christians to understand that Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, we need to understand what it means. Matthew's readers need to understand what it means to find rest in Christ. And I think we often have the same problem today. Just like today, many times as Christians, we start to define holiness by what we don't do rather than what we do, right? Right? I don't go to movie theaters. I don't 
do this, I don't do that, I don't drink caffeine, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't date the girls who do. The tragedy is that that can cause someone uh, that, who, that who, instead of truly trusting in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins, what that drives people to do is to mask their struggles. We come to church pretending like we've all got it all together, like everything is going great, or for others, it means that they constantly try harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And even among us who understand the grace of God, when we say we trust Christ for everything we need, for life and godliness, when we run into trouble or we're finding ourselves in difficulty, so often we run to other things for comfort or peace or just to numb the pain, whatever it is. And so this morning in these 14 verses, Christ is helping Christians to understand that He alone is the source of true Sabbath rest. He alone is the Lord of rest. And if we're going to genuinely rest, we must place our faith in him. It takes faith to rest, doesn't it? So if we're truly gonna rest, we need to place our faith in him So to find rest in Christ, basically it means two things in these 14 verses. We're gonna look at the first one this morning. It means to find mercy and it means to find healing. It means to find mercy and it means to find healing. We're gonna look at mercy this week. And so if we're going to truly rest in Christ, number one, we must find Christ. We must rest in Christ to find mercy. You must rest in Christ to find mercy. And this is in verses one through eight. But they're walking through the fields, the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. We're not sure exactly why they're going through the fields. Uh, Could be connected to chapter 11, verse one, where they're going from city to city. But given that this is a Sabbath day, more than likely they're probably either headed to the synagogue or maybe they're just taking an afternoon stroll. We We don't know. But they're walking and the disciples are hungry and so they take some of the heads of grain and they they crush them in their hands and they began to eat them. Now, today that is considered to be stealing, but you need to understand that back then the Jews had a slightly different understanding of this. In fact, this this was acceptable in the law. It was even required that that owners of fields allow people who are traveling through to do this. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 says that if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck of the ears with your hand. Just don't take a sickle to it. In other words, you couldn't harvest it, but if you took a few pieces of fruit or a few pieces of grain in your hand and you ate it, that was acceptable. That was something that we're allowed to do. So I want you to understand that there's nothing wrong with what the disciples are doing here, but when the Pharisees saw it, they go ballistic, as they often do. You know, Matthew doesn't flat out say that the Pharisees are around, but you can pretty much bet that where the Jesus is, where Jesus is, they're probably somewhere nearby just waiting to pounce, more than likely. You know anybody like that? (laughs) So, um, yeah, we won't go there. But anyway, so in verse two, they look and they say, hey, your disciples are doing what is not okay on the Sabbath even though the disciples didn't have a sickle, they 
were reaching out pieces of grain. They were probably taking them in their hand, rubbing them together, eating the grain, and then kind of throwing away the chaff. That was considered winnowing and threshing, and therefore it was work. And, then, and the Pharisee says, no, 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 can't do that. It's the Sabbath, how dare they? I think it's a little reaching, don't you? I think it's kind of reaching there, but that's what they're accusing Jesus of. No matter where they are, they're just ready to go. Hey, 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 hey. Just ready to go. And so Jesus' answer is where I want to spend the majority of our time this morning. In verses three through eight, he answers in the most profound way. The most profound way. Here's, he, he's basically going to give two examples from Scripture, and then he's going to draw out two profound conclusions from them. First, he reminds them, in, in verse three, he reminds them of something about that happened in the life of King David. You may remember this, and, and in fact, I think our men's reading group, we're getting close to this. I'm a, I'm a day behind, so I can't remember if we're, if we're there or not, but, uh, but definitely next week, you're going to read about this story where David was running from Saul. He was running for his life, and he comes up to Nob. Now, Shiloh had been destroyed by the Philistines at this time, so the tabernacle was at Nob. And, uh, and David comes. He's running for his life. He is hungry, and he asks the priest if there is any bread. And the priest says there's no common bread, but there's only the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence was something that was considered very holy. In fact, if you walked out of the Holy of Holies, the first thing you would see is the, is the bread of the presence. So it, other than the Ark of the Covenant, it was the most holy substance in the tabernacle. It was closest to the Holy of Holies. And it was exchanged every week. And, and when it was exchanged, when the priest took it off, only they were allowed to eat it. And even then, only they were allowed to eat it in certain places. So it had to be maintained as holy. And yet the priest tells him, I have no common bread, but there is the holy bread here. And the priest gave the holy bread that was only for the priest and yet he gave it to David and those who were with him. And there was no hint in the text that the priest had done anything wrong. Never was he cast, uh, castigated for this. Never was he accused. Never did God do anything. And no hint whatsoever that this was wrong. So that's the first one. Secondly, in verse, in verse five, Jesus says again, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple break the Sabbath? And yet they're innocent. What's he mean by this? You see, even though the Jews were forbidden to work on the Sabbath, if you think about it, the priest had to do all kinds of work. They had to bake new bread, for example, and then switch it out. They had to offer sacrifice. They had to offer prayers. They had, to, they had to receive the offerings from the people and they had to collect it and organize it. There was a lot of work that had to be done on the Sabbath for the priest. If you think about it, you know, I mean, I mean you guys get to sit out there and, and you just get to relax and listen to a, a halfway mediocre sermon. I gotta do all the work, right? <laughs> 
I think I, that's why I believe we ought to go back to the synagogue where you guys stand and I sit down. I, I think that would be great, but <laughs> but um, they, they, they had to do all kinds of work on the Sabbath. You know, I refer to Easter Sunday as my Super Bowl. You know, that's uh, that's like our our really 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 um, uh, busy season for a pastor, right? Uh, Easter, Christmas, and Mother's Day is kind of becoming like that too. So. By the way, mothers, I've decided from here on out on Mother's Day, I'm always gonna preach an evangelistic sermon. So if you bring your children, know they're gonna hear the gospel. But that's beyond the point. Anyway, so going back to this, the priest had to do all kinds of work and yet they were considered innocent. They weren't considered to be Sabbath breakers. The worship and service of the Lord in the temple was the most important thing they did Offering to the Lord, serving the Lord was the priority. That was the ministry of God to the people of Israel took precedence over their obedience to the Sabbath. That's gonna be a very important point. That the most important thing that the priest did was minister God's grace to the people through the tabernacle, and that took precedence over the law. And that's gonna, that's gonna come back in a very big way in just a moment. So just hang on to that. Put that in your back pocket. But Jesus follows that up in verse six, and he's kind of hinting toward his point when he says, something greater than the temple is here. In other words, if the priest could break the Sabbath to serve the temple. How much more can the Sabbath be broken to serve someone greater than the temple? You see the logic there. So here's the point. He says in verse seven, if you, know, if you knew what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. This is from the prophet Hosea, chapter six, verse six, but it captures the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law was not to give people religious rituals to make them right, but the whole point of the law, the whole point of the sacrifices, the whole point of the symbols, the whole point of the tithes was because the Lord desired mercy. The Lord desired to bring people back to himself, to invite his people back into their presence. That's why the temple and the tabernacle, so it, it, it has all that imagery from the Garden of Eden. Have you ever noticed that the menorah, the Jewish menorah, kind of looks like an almond tree? Have you ever noticed? I mean, use your imagination, but it kind of looks like an almond tree, right? What do you think that symbolizes? The tree of life. And the whole point of the temple was that God in grace was descending to his people to invite them back into that relationship he had with humanity in the garden where God and man walked together side by side in relationship. So the whole point of the law was that God desired to give mercy not enact a whole bunch of religious systems so that by them, 
we can earn our place with God. That's a misuse of the law. It was to draw people back to him. You know, and there's lots of confusion about Jesus's point here. Some say that the reason he points to David is because Jesus and his people were hungry and his physical needs were more important than the religious, than the religious worship. I think there's probably some emphasis on that. I think it sounds right because Jesus is quoting Hosea, but, but here's the thing. David was running for his life. Jesus's disciples were not. David was probably at the point of, 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 of hunger, of, of starving when this happened. His disciples were not. They were just taking a nice little Sabbath afternoon stroll in the grain field. I think the bigger, and, and why does he bring up the priest? I think the bigger question here is that Jesus is arguing these things were allowed because of who they involved. Remember, serving and ministering God's mercy to his people took precedence. The worship and service of God took precedence over the rules and regulations of the Sabbath for God desires worship, not sacrifice. God desires us to love him and he desires to bring us back. And Jesus is arguing of these things, not because of his situation, he's arguing them because of who was involved. Think about who was involved. There was David, God's anointed king. There was the priest, God's anointed priest, obviously. And then there was Hosea, one of God's many prophets. You see, how does God minister grace to his people? He does, through, he does so through the ministry of the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And Jesus is saying that these actions were allowed not because of what's happening here is, is based on human needs, but what's happening here is that Jesus is the true king. He is the true prophet and he is the true priest and therefore he takes precedent over the Sabbath. Now, I took a long way to get there. Does that, does that make sense? I kind of took the I-40 pothole approach there. <laughs> Do you see that? It's not, that, it's not that David was hungry, it's that he was God's chosen king. It's not that Jesus was hungry, it's that he's the greater David. It's not that the priest got a pass, it's that Jesus is the greater priest. It's not that Hosea was mentioning human need but it's that Christ is the greater prophet and he has the authority to decide what is work and what is not on the Sabbath. And offering mercy to his people always takes precedent over all the rules and silly little arbitrary things that the Pharisees came up with, always. 
The whole point of the Sabbath was to draw people to God, to know him and to rest in him. And the whole point is not to have ritual religious ceremonies, but that they would exercise their faith in God to receive mercy from him. And that's why Jesus sums all of this up in verse eight with this shocking statement. He says, for the son of man is Lord over the Sabbath. In other words, the one who truly grants mercy, the very mercy that Hosea prophesied, the very mercy that was typified in the work of the priest, the very mercy that was done in appointing David as king, the very one who has been granted all of that to give mercy is Christ. And the one who finds mercy will find it when they rest in Christ. That's the point. You know, in one of the last churches I pastored, there was a, this is in Colorado Springs, and there was a man who refused to watch the Broncos games on Sundays. His, uh, his reasoning was that by watching the game, he was forcing the players and the broadcasters and, and all those people, he was forcing them to work on Sunday, and therefore he refused to watch the games. Now, ironically, he would record them and watch them on Monday, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he also went out to eat on, uh, on, Monday, on Sundays too after church. So I don't, I don't know how that figured into that. But uh, don't get me wrong. If, and if that's your, hey, listen, if that's your conviction, that's fine, okay? If that's your conviction, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that that's not necessarily the point. The point is to rest in Christ. That's the point of the Sabbath, Beloved, the point is to rest in Christ. And when we rest in Christ, we receive God's mercy. That's the point. It requires faith to rest, amen? And if you want true rest, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives you rest. So beloved, can I ask you a few questions just to examine our hearts this morning and to think about this? Let me ask you this. Are, are you still struggling with a guilty conscience? Are you still struggling? Maybe when you're at home at night and it's just you and your thoughts. Yeah, you acknowledge the Lord with your lips, but your conscience still weighs on you and tells you that you must do something to quote unquote, make it right. And the funny thing about that is that it never seems to be enough that guilt never really goes away, right? It just compounds and compounds and it's never enough. Is that you? You acknowledge the mercy of Christ with your, with your mouth, but in your heart of hearts, you still carry this burden of guilt, this burden that I have to resolve this. Let me ask you this, are you constantly fearful that you'll offend someone? Are you constantly rewording what you say to maybe you find yourself constantly apologizing for minor infractions that you think that you're afraid you might've done to cause a problem? Are you serving the Lord because you feel like it's a duty? Because you feel like it's something that you have to do or are you serving the Lord because it's the source of your greatest joy? 
is the source of your greatest pleasure. The source of your greatest happiness is to be in the presence of God and among his people. Beloved, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ alone. You'll find mercy, true, genuine mercy for all you've done and haven't done. It is all covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. You don't have to lay awake at night. You don't have to constantly apologize. You don't have to be fearful about what you've done or what you might do. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in fear. You can rest in Christ. In Christ alone. And that's why Hebrews goes on to say, I'll read the whole passage again. Verse, chapter four, verses nine through 11 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Listen to this, oh beloved, let this verse be so close to your heart. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his He goes on to say, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know why Israel failed? Because they failed to enter the Lord's rest. It's not that they didn't do enough. It's that they tried to do. That's where they failed. Don't fail there. Enter into Christ's rest, beloved. There is no mattress so luxurious or there is no pillow so soft as a clean conscience. Rest in him and find mercy for your souls. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you for these great promises. I know I have a conclusion here, but I just don't feel like I can go there. I feel like the best thing we can do at this moment is just to lift our arms to you and praise you for giving us true rest. Lord, you have, you have done the work. All your work is finished. When Christ was on the cross, he exclaimed, it is is finished. And just as he has rested from his work now, so we also in him may rest from ours. So Lord, this is our Sabbath. This is our peace. This is our mercy. So Father, may no one under the sound of my voice here today be trying to find mercy in anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. May we come to him in faith alone because we understand we come by grace alone. Father, we understand that when it is by grace alone, it is to the glory of God alone. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. We want you to receive the glory from our lives. So if there's one here this morning who does not, does not know you, Lord, we're about to enter into a time of your, 
appointed means of grace, your, your supper, Lord. And may the symbols of that, may the partaking of that, may the watching of it, Lord, may it remind us once again that we may feed from you and we will find rest for our souls. Lord, may you satisfy our deepest hunger and may you satisfy our deepest thirst. May you grant us living waters so that we will never thirst again. Lord, may we eat of the bread of heaven that we will never hunger because there is an unending supply of grace from your side. Lord, remind us of these things this morning. You've reminded us by ear. Now remind us through our other senses in the supper. We ask this in your son's most gracious, wonderful name. Amen. We are coming into our time of communion. This is for believers. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we, we want to invite you just to pay attention, just to watch, just to see what it's like to take Christ in by faith. For that's what this supper points to. The bread points to his body that's broken for us. The, the juice points to the blood that was poured out for us. And by taking it in, we are reminded that we have taken Christ in by faith. And if you have questions about that, please don't be afraid to ask someone. We, this is not a time that we insist on absolute silence. We want children to ask their parents questions. We want, we want uh, our visitors, we want our guests to ask, what, what do these things mean? And we would love to share the gospel with you this morning. And so as we come into this time, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads once again and reflect on where we are in Christ this morning. If there's one here who perhaps there are things that you are convicted of, you have an opportunity to confess them. As once again, we come to the presence of Christ in the supper. So let's take just a moment to do that.